0: feel like I set myself up for failure because of how I opened last week's sermon. After mentioning how much I think about the first line of a servant, I now have to deliver a really good line. And part of me, well, part of me, when I wrote the title for this week's sermon, I kind of wanted to have this interaction. I don't know what it means. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. It gets the people going. And honestly, i believe do believe that this bit of a reference to how these next parts of the gospel will work its way out. That is, it is indeed provocative, and it is indeed will get the people going. So last week, we ended with Jesus gathering his disciples, and we touched on the importance of being called, and how for the most part these disciples had already failed getting into their rabbinic training, but yet now they were being called by a rabbi. Their lives were going to be changed for a better way. And for this saying, a better way of saying that is they're going to reorient their lives towards the kingdom. Now, important thing to know at this point as well, the disciples and the onlookers, onlookers would have seen this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth as just another rabbi. At this point, we need to once again suspend the fact that we know that Jesus is the Christ and really See, Jesus, as the people of this time would have seen Jesus, which is, well, just a really good teacher, a rabbi worth following. And that is kind of where we find ourselves. Jesus shows up in Capernaum, and since he was the rabbi, he could teach at the temple. So he's giving this lesson, and well, as I quoted earlier, it's provocative. It gets the people going. The people are responding to Jesus' teaching, and they're amazed at how he's interpreting the law and how it's making it come alive. Once again, the word has come alive. I was recently scrolling through my Facebook feed, and a pastor PhD friend of mine was posting a lesson called The Human Bible Study, The Priesthood of All Believers. And what he is talking through is a part of the priesthood. That we're all part of the priesthood because we all live out the gospel. And when we live out the gospels, our lives become a living Bible study. I promptly told them that I'm stealing this and renaming all of my Bible studies from here on out to, be, to include the word human in front of it. Because there is no point in just studying the Bible if it doesn't change how we live. And I'll say that again for the people in the back. There is no point in just studying the Bible if it does not change how we live. Now, I bring this up because in, the moment, in this moment in Capernaum, Jesus is being a human Bible study. He is reading the word like it means something, not just some rote teaching, not just ink scrawled on parchment that was handed to him. These words were alive coming out of his mouth. And well, people notice. And as we continue, it's not just the people who noticed in some kind of horror movie twist a demon speaks up from the back of the room yelling at Jesus and calling Jesus by his full title including the title that Jesus had yet not yet revealed to anyone but we kind of know from the epic intro the demon calls Jesus the son of god and like i said earlier last time and like i said earlier last week Jesus is trying to keep his divinity on the down low he's trying to keep it a secret to keep it hidden away I talked a little bit that, about that last week, but we'll continue to hint at it through this series. It's something called the Messianic Secret. Here, Jesus is trying to keep his identity a secret because he was doing all this amazing teaching and wanted those words to speak on their own and not be, and that, that teaching be the reason for people to follow him. If he just kind of laid out his divinity for all of people to see, of course, then people would follow Jesus. Who wouldn't? But Jesus wanted people to follow him because they knew who he was, because they had taken on his teachings, because they had followed him so closely that they acted and talked and lived like him. He didn't want people to follow him solely because of a title, because, but because they knew who he really was. So he tells the demon to be silent, and he casts out the demon, and it freaks everyone out. And once again, this is for good reason, because remember, at this point, they thought Jesus was just a rabbi, just a teacher. And perhaps at this point, maybe just a really good orator. But now all of a sudden, there's a most twisty of twist. Jesus calls a demon out of someone like it was nothing. Just calmly and plainly, but with authority cast out the demon. And in this moment, the perception of who Jesus is begins to switch for the disciples and for the people looking on that there is something special happening in front of them. And maybe he is the one that they have been waiting for. And I know that I've had this mo- these moments in my own journey of faith where there's something outwardly happening, something not normal, and in calm authority it seems that Jesus is standing at the center of it. So now as the news begins to spread about Jesus, Jesus once again wants to leave. This is that sprint to Jerusalem that we were talking about earlier this week. Jesus does not want to stand still. He knows that he is called to bring in the kingdom of God, but not just in one place, but there are more people to be healed. There are more valleys to raise up and more mountains to be made low. There's more power structures to call into authority. And Jesus wants to go there. So you want, so he goes to the house of some of the disciples, and Jesus heals them, heals one of their mothers. Now, I do think that there is something important here that we can talk about. Once we have witnessed the miracles of Christ. Are we going to take those experiences with us into the houses we go to? Are we carrying Christ with us even to the places that we know and that we're comfortable in, like the homes of our parents? I'm not necessarily you need to go preach the gospel in your own house, but what I am asking you is are you leaving Jesus at the door? Are you leaving the knowledge of miracles of Christ at the door and just taking on a familiar role in the family? Because aren't we all looking for healing? We're all looking for something, and sometimes we don't know what we don't know. We don't know that we may have that which the other person might need. And yes, the disciples bring Jesus home, and he heals one of their mothers. And this causes the whole town to come over and want healing. Because I do think that there's something contagious about healing. There's something contagious about the hope that it brings. Because once again, I believe that we all are looking for something to be healed from. And it seems that once the disciples have allowed Jesus into their home, Jesus healed someone, and that hope brought everyone to the door. Now, we are approaching one of my favorite pieces of scripture for today, and after a day and night of healing, Jesus gets up early so he can go be by himself and pray, because Jesus Jesus needed some alone time. Jesus needed some time away from the work of healing, and he needs, needed rest. Some Sabbath. And I feel like we... Uh, As Christians, sometimes gloss over this because we want to keep working because there's always work to be done. There's always people to be healed. There's always more work for the church. But we see in this example that even Jesus needed rest. Even Jesus needed that alone time. Fully human and fully divine does not remove your own need for Sabbath because there is something both human and divine in taking Sabbath. And the disciples didn't respect Jesus' desire to go away and they track him down and they want him to bring him back to healing more people. And I've always felt a little bit off about this part of scripture because there's this tension that develops here. It's a small subtext that's important for us to pay attention to. You do have the heart of these disciples. They're they're hurting people in this world that needed healing and, well, they found someone who could heal them, so we should go get that person to heal them. Jesus kind of became a tool to their ends, no matter how noble those ends are. And yet, like I said earlier, they're trying to bring Jesus to the hurting people because it's what they know. They know that Jesus can heal them. And why wouldn't Jesus want to do this? But Jesus's answer is like, nah, we got other places to go. You know, and if I'm honest, I'm a little bit perturbed by this. I mean, I can understand Jesus is Jesus. He has a divine plan to follow, but why didn't his divine plan include those people who had gathered? How many times have I felt like the person who got to the village a little too late, only to find out that Jesus had moved on to another village? How many times in my life have I felt like, well, Jesus is saying, nah, I got somewhere else to be. This is important for us and right for us to dwell on, to struggle with. Because if we as Christians just gloss over the fact that Jesus decided to move on when others had gathered to be healed, we're going to miss an important part of our faith. That is, well, God's plan. I know that these words, as these words leave my mouth, we all kind of cringe. It's been a word and phrase that we as Christians have used to justify our own inaction throughout history. We have used this excuse of God's plan to stand on the sideline. And yet we also need to have some faith that there is a plan and that God is slowly bending the world towards justice, that there is this tension that we have to stare into every day, that we see right here in the scriptures ahead of in front of us. We have to have a hope in Christ that though his healing was not brought to them at that moment by Christ, but that through that hopefully through this teaching and his disciples, the healing of Christ still found them. That the hands and feet of Christ, that the body of Christ, that extends the reach of Christ into this world, eventually found them. And for us today, as we try to understand the plan of God, we need to take on our crosses and work towards bringing the kingdom of God here. That we understand, that we don't understand why things happen, but the things that we do understand, our calling, and what our calling was, what our calling is, and what our calling will be and that our calling is in Christ and God's kingdom here on earth. Back to the scripture, Jesus has gone around healing in Galilee, and we have a very specific story that's pulled out of these healings. A man who has a skin disease sees Jesus runs up to him and asks to be made clean. Now, there's some stuff to unpack here that might be lost on a modern audience. This man who had a skin disease, which is most likely a leper, At that time, if you were a leper, you were kicked out of society. You had to stay away from everyone because you could give your disease to other people. You became an outcast. You were untouchable. You had to beg for your food, but you could not go into the city to beg for it. You couldn't see your friends or family anymore. You were isolated both physically, but also emotionally and spiritually as well. Because people believe that if you were so stricken by these diseases, well, it's because God hated you. That you had some sin that you had forgotten to confess. that, Or perhaps somebody in your family history had committed a sin and that sin was passed down to you. It was all your fault that this had happened to you. It was the boot on your neck and the monkey on your back. It was your fault. So you, of course, would be desperate for relief. You would search far and wide just to feel human again. To feel normal. To feel loved. And this man was desperate. He ran at any chance that he could find. And in his true desperation, this man was able to see Jesus. Really see Jesus once again. For who Jesus was, you have command over my body. If you desire to me be clean, I will be clean. Jesus, moved by this passion of this man, touches the man and makes him clean. Remember, this man wasn't untouchable. If you were to touch him, that made you unclean. And yet Jesus chooses to heal him this way. By touching him, Christ exposes himself to this man's disease in order to heal him from it. This small interaction is the larger foreshadowing of who Christ is and what Christ came here to do. Christ exposes himself to our sin so that we may be made clean. Once again, Jesus asks this man not to tell anybody to to be quiet. And even though this miraculous thing had happened, follow the rules. He was healed by doing what he was supposed to do, which was to offer sacrifices at the te- at the temple. And this would be the testament to the law of Moses. But of course, just if somebody had lifted this burden off your shoulders now, you would go and tell the world. You would tell everybody about what Jesus had done. So Jesus has to go into hiding because of this. And there are so many people coming to him that wanted to be healed. He couldn't go into the towns anymore. He had to stay outside because of the amount of people that began to gather. Okay. And as we get into this next part of scripture, I have to give you a little personal history I have with this scripture. Through my teens and twenties, I worked for a Christian camp called Summer Games. It was mostly in Iowa, but I spent three summers doing it in Georgia as well. It was a week-long sports camp, but in reality... We didn't care at all about sports. It was all about teaching the youths about Jesus in a family-esque atmosphere full of goofy games, songs with actions, and different theme nights every night. And one of those nights was prayer with a friend slash pray for a friend night. The idea was that you would pray with the new friends that you have met that week and also you would pray for your friends back home. It was a very, very tear-filled night. On times that I would leave the night, I would always share this specific scripture, Mark 2, 1 through 8. I would share the story because I do believe that there are some beautiful things that are happening in these short verses. Four friends f- bringing their paralyzed friend over to a house where Jesus was. And when they get there, there's no room for them. They can't get their friend through the door. And no, they did not use their good Midwestern sense and go, Oh, just going to squeeze by you here. Instead, they are met with a choice. Now, I'm sure at this point, the paralyzed friend protested. He knew his lot. He had lived this way. And well, it won't get better, but it won't get worse either. I could just stay paralyzed. Yeah, I would like for it to get better, but it just, it doesn't seem like it's going to work out right now. Maybe this just wasn't meant to happen. And yet, his friends weren't satisfied with that. They wanted their friend to meet Jesus because they knew that Jesus was different. So they had to figure out how to get their friend on the roof, not only onto the roof, but then they also needed to dig through the roof and lower their friend down. Imagine that. They didn't come prepared to do any of this. They didn't have the proper tools, plan, or anything. They just put their friend on their back and carried him up on a roof. They then got on their hands and knees and dug through a roof, and they used their hands and whatever they could find once they got a hole big enough to lower him down. That devotion of a friend is admirable. The, do, the willingness to do whatever it takes to put them in front of Jesus is admirable. Jesus seeing all that the person has gone, gone through at this point. The humility that he had to take to be carried up onto the roof. The devotion of friends to see it through. To do whatever they had to do to get this person in front of Jesus. And then the trust that they all had that Jesus would do this for them. Jesus sees this and forgives the sins. Now, some onlookers were not happy about this because they believed that only God could do forgiveness of sins. And that God would be offended by somebody else forgiving sins. That was not the established law. That was not the established order The paralyzed man need to give sacrifices at the temple, just like Jesus had instructed the leper to say he did, because that was the law. That is what you're supposed to do. And yet, Jesus corrects them in this moment. Remember when I had talked about earlier the leper and the sin nature being passed down, that maybe it was some sin that was hindering the leper. When Jesus is healing someone, he's saying that their sins are forgiven. is basically also just like saying, get up and take your mat. And at this point, that Jesus makes that answer clear in his clapback towards the people gathered. What is easier? What is easier? To someone tell someone that they are forgiven or to tell them to get up and walk? And to show these people that not only can he heal people, but he has the ability to forgive sins. He tells the man both. Your sins are forgiven, now take up your mat. Because there's something special here that is connected between the spiritual and the physical. It seems that Jesus has command over both. He has the ability to forgive physical transgressions, but also spiritual transgressions. This is once again Jesus pointing out that he is different than any other rabbi because he is both fully human and fully divine. There's something special about this teacher so back to the sermon title so what is the point of healing if we're all going to die anyways i think that the the point of healing is that jesus commands us metaphorically to pick up our mat and walk out of the room part of our own healing is that so that we can walk out in front of others and show them the goodness of who god is but in today's reading, we find out that healing can come in multitude of ways. Sometimes it's Jesus showing up in our lives out of nowhere, perhaps at a church, hearing a good sermon. Sometimes Jesus is brought into our house by somebody from our community, our friends, or our family, showing us grace in a moment Jesus is brought in. Sometimes we're met with Jesus on the street. We're walking down in our own sin and mire, and something speaks to us for healing. And sometimes, and I feel like this was what happened for me, we're placed on a mat, and our friends carry us to Jesus. Again, sometimes our own well wishes, our friends carry us to Jesus. And I think the reality that is being expressed in this moment is that Jesus heals in so many different ways because we're all in need of healing. And part of healing is spending that time to figure out what we need healing from and what that healing looks like for us. Because when it comes to Jesus, as we talked about, it's not just only physical healing. It's There's a spiritual and divine healing as well. It's holistic in itself. Healing is always holistic when it comes to Jesus. And as we seek This healing in our own lives. And as we experience this healing in our our own lives. It is so that we can live out an example towards the others. We can invite them into this healing. It is that reorientation again. So that our words of who Christ is. Is now exemplified by how we live our lives. While we are here on earth. So that we can be the human Bible studies. That. That is why we see healing. Amen.